Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Um, man, the agenda today. You know, it's been news light. Um, we haven't even had a lot of matchmaking news. I mean, some small stuff, but mostly stuff that was added to pre-existing cards that I don't really feel like going over. So, at the moment, all I have to talk about is UFC 294. Um, so I'm going to do that. And boy, do I have stuff to talk about, but I don't know. Maybe there was there maybe there is some major news item that came out this last week that I'm forgetting, but the news cycle kind of got swallowed in still talking about 294 and, you know, the late notice change in opponents for a couple of people and a lot of that stuff. So I going to be talking about that primarily. Um, as always, I'll check Twitter before the end of things and have a look at that. But you know, that, that's kind of what I got at the moment. And man. Okay, before I get into it, please interact with the product a little bit. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, sharing, Sharing can happen on any platform, but whatever is, else is applicable to your podcast platform of choice, please do something with that. Much, much appreciated, as always. Um, yeah, I don't... Again, I don't have a big intro. I don't have a big news item to talk about. Let's just jump into this, and we'll see how long this goes. I mean, you know how long this goes. But I don't yet, so... UFC 294. You know... I saw a title about UFC 294 on an article, and it was something to the effect, a little clickbaity, and let me be very clear what I mean by that. I mean that it's designed to evoke a specific response to try and get you to click on it, read, and engage. You don't even have to read. You click on it, then you scroll down, post your angry comment. I don't like this kind of, I don't like that this is where the industry, marketplace, Whatever. I don't like that that's where it is. Whatever you want to call that. I don't like where it is. I don't. But. I, uh, anyway, it said, you, like UFC 294, that didn't matter. Or that you know, it, was, it was pointless or you know, something to that effect. Again, this is deliberate phrasing to try and get you to click and to be, you know, whatever. But I had to pause for a minute and think. Like, are they... Is this... If this was the worst of clickbait, there would be no basis for it. There would be no basis for this opinion, right? There would be someone spouting off or waxing purple in their prose, and I don't think that's true here. <laughs> Thought about it for a second, like, no, you know what? There is truth to that sentiment. And... We're going to go over this, but let me start with, um, before I get to the main event, let me start with the following from 294. This event, turns out, was held together with friggin' bubble gum and dental floss. Well, maybe dental floss is better tinsel strength than I'm giving it credit for, but... When you look at it after the fact, when a bunch of people are talking about stuff, like, man, this thing barely held together. 
And that's... And then there's all the stuff that happened. Good grief. I have never, and I mean this, I have never seen a UFC or roughly comparable level event with this much... Not even extraneous, that's the wrong word. Can I just say with this much cheating? I'm just going to say it. With this much cheating. With this much flagrant disregard for the rules and utterly ineffectual attempts at restoring order. Utterly ineffectual. There was hair pulling. There were groin shots, glove grabs, fence grabs. I think the only... I think the only thing we didn't have was an eye poke. Now that I think about it, I don't believe there was an eye poke. Uh, illegal knees. I gotta yell about that. I'll save it for when I talk about the relevant fight, but... And... And then fighters opening their mouths. And like, yeah, by the way, here's ex- to say nothing of our top two fights in the last 12 days having to change significantly. I don't... <laughs> It's, this was a clown fiesta. This was a total, total clown fiesta on so many fronts. So many fronts. Um, let me talk about a couple of the fronts before I get to, um, before I get to the fights in particular. And again, a bunch of this will come up during the fights in particular, uh, and specific examples will be cited there. But let's do a couple of things here before... So, Daniel Cormier. We might have reached the nadir of Daniel Cormier's bizarre style of commentary. One of the fights where there was hair pulling. He asked, is that illegal? Now, he tried to play it off two minutes later, less. I assume after looking at his phone and it blowing up in his face... That he tried to play it off like, I'm joking. My man, you don't have the credibility with the specific rules to make that joke. (laughs) You don't. Uh, Everything you do is jokey, so nothing is jokey. So nothing's a joke. You constantly either misspeak or misunderstand rules and regulations related to the sport. So when you ask a jokey question that has an obvious answer, the kind of which you have fallen for before, people are going to react. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, the fact that poor John Anik and Paul Felder had to, had to indulge in this a little bit. I mean, it was asked during the um, uh, Abu Azaitar and Cedricus Dumas fight. And... Felder just kind of went, well, yeah, it's against the rules. Otherwise, you know, someone would just glab, grab Clay Guida by the hair and just uppercut the crap out of him. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. <laughs> but, <sighs> so, not the best night for Daniel Cormier's commentary. Uh, Felder and Anik are, I like Felder and Anik as a duo. I, I have very, I know some people who are more forgiving of Daniel Cormier's commentary style than I am, I have kind of heard enough of him, if I can be perfectly candid. We can find someone better. 
and probably should. Um, so there was that. There was... I think there's technically a commission in the UAE. Um, the referees were wearing a UAE MMA F shirt, something like that. Um, but basically the UFC is kind of self-regulating here. And I don't know where they found the ringside doctor that they brought for this one. I'm going to, there's two very specific instances wherein I will be yelling at him, but boy, was that a disaster. And this whole, man, I was pretty high on this card. You can go back and listen to my preview. If you don't believe me, I was pretty high on it. This is not me being negative all the way through. I, I had expectations. I had hopes. I had dreams. I was young once. And this, no, the, the entire prelims, but so tons of cheating, some timing issues in terms of it's kind of the worst when you get just a bunch of decisions that back everything up, then a quick finish or like reverse. Even if you do like quick finish decisions and then some finishes because it just muddles the timing of the broadcast. Uh, I mean, there were almost no interviews handed out. And we and finishes were at such a premium that we had one of those um, nights where the UFC did not give a fight of the night bonus, which I think is actually kind of understandable. And instead, if you got a finish, you got a performance bonus check. So, and again, we had one of those. Um, a reminder that the UFC could do this every time, but they are cheap and would rather keep you keep fighters in financial peril so they can be more easily controlled and manipulated. Um... <sighs> Yeah, this, the fact that you can legitimately say at the end of this event, in some respects through the fault of the UFC, in some respects through circumstances they are only tangentially able to control, and in some respects through circumstances completely out of their control, that this event almost accomplished nothing that's a heck of a thing. Like, look, your average fight night, you. There are some of them that you could maybe make the case that, okay, well, what about that matter? And eh, we can nitpick through it. When one of your big pay-per-views, and make no mistake, the UFC likes making some of these trips to the Middle East, be that, uh, again, the UAE, or they're going to do some Saudi shows, whatever that happens to be. They like these to feel big. When you can come away from one of those and go, boy, that was pointless... Sorry if I blew it into speakers there. I don't know how this microphone reacts to whistling. I, I don't do it very often into the mic. Um, but man, what a thing. So, I think the only instance wherein you can assertively and confidently say that something was gained is the main event. Main event, Islam Makashev knocks out Alexander Volkanovsky with a head kick. Some follow-up punches against the fence. Uh, 3.06 of the first round. I picked Volkanovski last week kind of on a flyer. Um, and also because I don't really care. <laughs> like, I don't care that much about my record as far as picks go. I give forth a good faith effort. I can't always do a ton of tape study on these guys. And... 
it's I do this more for conversation purposes than like I'm not a hardcore gambling podcast. Please do not do not gamble according to my predictions. Or if you do, let me know how I do for you. <laughs> I, I again I don't keep track of this stuff, so I'd be genuinely curious. Neither here nor there. Anyway, um, here's the here's maybe the flips the thing about this. This is a great win for Islam Makashev. One, he looked great. Two, he beat one of the best fighters in the world. That's Alexander Volkanovsky. Three, he stopped him. That hasn't happened to Volk since he fought at welterweight, what? In 2013? Ten years this guy hadn't been finished. Overtime, that was May of 13. And up two and up a weight class from lightweight. Two weight classes from where he's at his best. Even on two weeks' notice, being able to finish Volkanovski is a big, big thing. So he's got that. He got another title defense. He got to do it relatively close to Dagestan. And I, I I do have to say this, though. Again, he's got the best claim for anyone to have gotten something legitimate out of this. Something pretty big. Even in the case of Islam Makashev, there is the caveat that Volkanovsky took this on 12 days' notice, almost coming off the couch. It's a slight exaggeration, but by his own... Dude, he had surgery not that long ago. He wasn't in camp. He wasn't... like The man, I'm sure, does a degree of maintenance fitness and training. But he cut a fair amount of... He cut a fair amount of weight, I think, he revealed to do this. I mean, not huge, but... If he was in camp, he wouldn't have had to cut as much as he... It, like... It's impossible to not acknowledge the circumstances. Not only is it impossible, it's disingenuous to not acknowledge the circumstances under which this happened. Which is not to say that Volkanov, that uh, excuse me, Mikashev's performance was not impressive. It was. It really, really was. I give him all the credit in the world for that. I mean, I could be in the equivalent of a fight camp, and then Volkanovsky could come in on a week's notice and beat the crap out of me. And doing that to Volkanovsky, even under the circumstances, is extremely impressive. Needs to be acknowledged. Needs to be noted, again, needs to be noted, circumstances. No, neither of these two guys, neither of these two guys are at fault for it. You know, Makashev didn't cut Charles Oliveira. And... (laughs) He didn't make, no one made Volkanovsky take the fight. He chose to, but there are circumstances that do need to be acknowledged there. So the question kind of becomes, what do we do going forward? That's a little bit less clear. A little bit less clear. In the week leading up to, the the weeks leading up to this, Makashev indicated he might want to fight for the welterweight title. 
He's a big guy for 155. Now, that's a big jump from 155 to 170. It's a really big jump. But, and he's kind of big for the weight class. And he's an exceptional, exceptional, exceptional fighter. He might, pound for pound is a weird discussion. It's a weird debate. It's a weird criteria. Because it's not only married to skill set, irrespective of size, there's a weird bit that also includes like your current run and your run across different... There's, there's a real sense of where are you right now in the results category rather than the skills category that plays into this. If... So I don't know if he'll surpass, if he'll overtake John Jones as the pound-for-pound pound number one after this. John still has weight, has wins across two weight classes, has never legitimately lost in the UFC. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when I talked about USADA going away. John's right; they should change that no contest with Daniel Cormier in their second fight to a knockout. If we're just being honest about the evidence. That's all I'm asking here. I am not some kind of John Jones homer in that respect. But, you know, how does that, how does what Islam did here against a pound-for-pound great measure up to John, who moved up in weight, became champion, but defeated a much more limited, I like Cyril Gaon. His skill set is much more limited than Alexander Volkanovsky's. That shouldn't be a controversial take. So how do you measure these things? I don't know. You you want to know my hunch about this? John will maintain pound for pound number one status, or if he doesn't, he will get it back before he fights Stipe, because it's a nice thing to put on the marketing. And that's as much what these rankings are as anything else. Slightly cynical take there. I apologize for being overly cynical, but that's my hunch. If Makashev stays at lightweight, there are two immediate options before him. Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje would be the two obvious contenders right now. Post-fight, Dana White indicated that he thinks Oliveira still makes sense. And Oliveira just suffered a cut. It's not like he broke a bone or tore a knee or something. Not a... Those, you know, they don't have a terrible... The timeline for recovery from a cut, even a pretty bad one, is relatively smooth, and you can do a lot to maintain ability and physical fitness. Usually you don't spar, or even, not just like sparring with striking, but you don't even roll that much. You might drill carefully, and carefully is a little bit, again, this isn't like, you know, baby's first day of jiu-jitsu training when when everything's super slow and whatnot, but... You don't go really hard when someone's recovering from a cut, especially around the eyes. Like, let's be, you know, don't be stupid. Everybody slow it down. We don't need to re-aggravate it. But you can still drill. You can still do pad work. You can do bag work. You can. I mean, there's a lot that you can still do. So he might be ready on a timetable that the UFC is happy with. Again, then there's Gagey. Here's the other thing about. Here's the other thing about Oliveira. He. He mentioned a little bit that he might be interested in fighting Connor. 
which I'm sure he would if he gets, you know, more money for that, assuming he does. Connor... I can't pick Connor to win at this point. He's been out for way too long. That said, like, a good version of Connor does, in fact, give Oliveira problems because Oliveira is a predictable forward offensive fighter, and Connor has had a lot of success against those guys. So, but anyway, that's a possibility. The UFC, whatever Dana says, you know, about who he thinks should be next in the post-fight presser usually doesn't matter. Most of what Dana says usually doesn't matter, but especially that. I mean, remember when he was all, no, no, so-and-so makes the most sense. Uh, an immediate rematch between Israel Adesanya and Sean Strickland. And then, then, like, two days later, three days later, at the Contender Series post-fight presser, he's like, I never said that. Y'all are a bunch of journalists misquoting me. All they did was embed the video of you, my man. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. My hunch is a little bit they'll wait and see who's ready on the timetable that they want. And who the fans might demonstrate a bit more excitement for. And if Islam wants to force the issue and say, I want a welterweight shot, you could... The problem is, like, if it were two different contenders, maybe you could have them fight, but we've seen Gaethje and Oliveira. I don't feel compelled to see it again. I wouldn't complain, mind you. The first fight was pretty darn good, and I'm sure another one would be. But it's it's a little bit pointless. So, and that's, eh. It's a little bit iffy there. A little bit iffy. Uh, so, and that's what's up with Makashev. Waiting to see how the UFC sorts out the two top contenders, what his ambitions happen to be. He had a great performance. Um, even under the circumstances, he performed very well. Fire in that left kick, worked well, didn't go to the leg too much with it. He showed that a couple of times and then threw a couple to the body. That last one over the top, um, Volk just misread it. Makashev's striking, it doesn't integrate with his wrestling as well as, as Khabib's did, mostly because Khabib's striking was just an excuse to get close enough to grab you. I've talked about this in the past before, but Khabib's striking was part of a singular game. Makashev's striking, for its own sake, is better. Significantly, point of fact. It doesn't, again, it doesn't quite integrate as well, but it's a very minor nitpick. But one of the great things about Makashev's striking, um, Jack Slack posted an article about this, so give that a read, please. Um, his setups, and I don't just mean like the deliberate fakes and faint setups, the beginning motion of his strikes looks the same, whether they're linear or circular. If you've never tried to do that, or never had to deal, like, this is a very high-level thing that I'm gonna, that I'm talking about. You, you might be saying, well, no, this is the goal of everything. Again, sort of. Hear me out here. The big goal, and this is something only recently coming into into the fore, the big goal is to make your feints and your fakes look exactly like your attacks. That you get a ton of benefit out of that. If but if looking at your lead hand, the motion to throw your jab to the extent that you have motion in front of your jab, which 
depending on the jab and depending on what you're trying to do. But if the motion between your jab and your left hook is the same at the start for both of those punches, you are going to have the other guy in fits. Partially because of how our eyes work. Your eyes aren't lenses. I mean, there's, we call part of what goes on in there a lens, but they're not like camera lenses. Your eyes are slightly better understood as probability generators. And this is why, by way of example, there are um, uh, batters in Major League Baseball who will swear up and down that a really hard fastball has a rising effect. It doesn't. This is contrary to all known laws of physics. What happens is, even at higher speeds, you think the ball's going to be here. And then suddenly it's not, and your eyes do catch where it actually is, so you generate new probability based on that. But for that period of time when it's in transition, you don't see where it actually is. Your visual cortex gives you information about where it has the highest probability of being. And then you have to reassess once new information comes in. Again, your eyes are they're weird and fascinating and wonderful, and feel free to look at this up if you think I'm lying. Um, but when it comes to punches and kicks and fighting, reads about telegraphing and whatnot are all about that information. Now, telegraphing is more, it's easier to see for everybody, but what we're trying to do is, what you try to do is if you, again, get two or three of your strikes, punches, kicks, whatever, that look the same for the first Half of the motion. Half of you can get lucky. Makashev's hook comes around into a hooking motion at the very end of that punch. Really, really sharp. Really sharp. Instead of the big, wide hooks. It's why big, wide punches are easier to avoid. It's not just the ge- it's not just the like geometry of the swing. It's the probability of what's coming becomes narrower and narrower it becomes more and more obvious what's happening gives you more time to react gives you a better path to avoid it makashev's body kick and his head kick they look almost exactly alike until the last possible moment when it has to go higher or lower i can tell you mine don't i've watched myself in the mirror do this and it's a little bit humbling when you look at yourself and go, oh, boy, that's ugly. No, no, I'm going middle. I'm going low. I'm going like, <laughs> trying to get that to look right. Trying to get that first bit to look the same really hard. And the longer you can maintain that that same look before you branch off into your different attack, the better. Makashev is excellent at this. If you can confuse and frustrate a guy like Volkanovsky... You can do that to anybody. So, given that man his props, uh, really good stuff there from that from Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky, really good stuff from Akashev. I'm about to dovetail into Volkanovsky. That's why it's a little bit on my brain. But great stuff from Akashev. Don't know exactly what's next for him, but I'm excited to see it. Um, he's really good. So let's talk for a minute or two about Volkanovsky. Um, this. This hurt. Um, 
I've talked about this before, but I have covered Volkanovski's entire UFC run. I covered his first fight in the UFC. It was one of the hey, one of the fights I when I was started. I've been doing coverage for a while, but I covered his debut, and I have covered every one of his UFC fights. And there's a sent there was a sentiment here, partially people starting to dislike Islam Makashev. Which didn't make sense to me. Look, I, I'm not saying you have to be a fan of the guys, but okay, there was just some backlash that started building around him more once Volk got announced as his opponent than I think there was for Oliveira. Yeah, not fully sure why, but there was, it was noticeable. It, it had been building even before the Oliveira withdrawal, but after that, it kind of kicked up a notch or two. Um. But I think there was a bit of a sentiment that people really wanted um, Volkanovski to be successful here. And I, I think I saw Luke Thomas talk about, talk about it in this way. This happens a lot with great fighters who only start getting appropriate recognition as such nearer the peak and when things start to go downhill. People not only fall into the what has happened in the past is what will always happen in the future bit, which happens. People also do the, I missed the ascent. I missed when they were great and coming up and I want to see it. I want to see more of it now that I finally realize what's in front of me. The time to really appreciate a lot of Volkanovsky was when he was coming up to the title, not now. I'm not saying he's going to fall off a cliff tomorrow, okay? Please don't misunderstand me, but there were a lot of people who were not really high on him when he knocked out Chad Mendes. There were a lot of people who were yawning their way through his win over Jose Aldo. And there's a lot of people that thought he didn't win the second fight with Max Holloway. And it's only after he beats Brian Ortega, beats Max Holloway the third time, Suffers the very close loss to Makashev in their first fight. Beats up Yair Rodriguez. And I'm sorry, guys. Some of you got on this ride too late. He's 35. This This is the point, right? This is a... I'm not saying this is an impossible line. But there's only one fighter in UFC history to win a title fight... At 170 or lower, ever. One guy's Tyron Woodley. He did it twice. I've talked about this before. Once to Damian Maya, who was himself like 40-something. And then Darren Till, who had no business being in a title fight. Then he promptly lost it to Kamar Usman, who held it until about the time he, at 35, then Edwards beat him. This is... It is a hard line. So, by logical extension, if you stay with me here for a sec... 155 and lower, it has never happened. Lightweight, featherweight, bantamweight, flyweight, no one 35 or older has ever won a UFC title fight. Ever. Some of those are newer divisions, and at some point that stat is going to be broken. I have no doubt about it. Somebody's going to break that stat. But consider the talent in those weight classes... Some of them might have been newer, but they've been. everyone's been around for a while at this point. Nobody's done it. 
Think about the greats. B.J. Penn couldn't do it. Frankie Edgar couldn't do it. Benson Henderson couldn't do it. Khabib Nurmagomedov chosen for whatever reason, didn't. George St. Pierre didn't. One of the absolute greatest of all time. He didn't do it. He didn't do that. Kamar Usman, probably the second best welterweight champion the UFC's ever had. He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Jose Aldo couldn't. Max Holloway couldn't. Dominic Cruz couldn't. Demetrius Johnson couldn't. We can keep going. I'm not going to, but we could. It's it's just a big ask. And Alexander Volkanovsky, in his first shot at winning a title fight in the UFC at the age of 35 or older, could not do it. Adverse circumstances, sure. Short notice, absolutely. He still, it still couldn't be done. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to lose his next title defense at featherweight. But... That's it, man. It's just tough. This game is brutal. Your time at the top is short, and when it goes, it can go pretty badly, pretty quickly. So he was trying to do that. Here's another fun little stat for you. UFC featherweight champions are 1-4 and four in title fights outside of their weight class. The one... The only guy to do it at that weight class, moving to a different one and winning a UFC title fight is Connor. And he only did it once. He beat Eddie Alvarez. Then he, you know, lost to Khabib. Volkanovski now is twice failed to beat Islam Makashev. Um, the other ones. Hang on. Max failed to win the interim title from Dustin Poirier. Again, up. And then Jose Aldo failed to win the bantamweight title going down. I, it's hard, man. We live in an era where a lot of people are trying this, and the frequency of attempts at becoming a simultaneous 2-8 world champion in MMA has made us, I think, underappreciate just how hard that is. So it, it's a real big ask, man. It's just a real big ask, especially in the lighter weight classes. Especially in the lighter weight classes. The irony of them, it being easier on the body to do down there, because the weight classes are closer together, versus the skill differential, the amount of skill required, is pretty... It's borderline tragic. Right? You've, we've seen guys try at 185 to move up to 205 and fight them, and skill for skill, maybe they're better, but the size disparity becomes just too great. And in some cases, we've seen that going from 205 to heavyweight, too. Um, we've seen a lot of guys at 205 who are very, very good, uh, who just, something about that move up, man, it just, they're not the same. That's not just UFC, that's... You know, Bellator had that problem with Strikeforce on occasion when they were still in operation. That that jumps big, man. That jumps bigger than you think. Um, 
I, again, man, I'm a little bit gutted for Volkanovski. He also... Uh, look, man, the sentiment was there that he had nothing to lose. I, I disagreed with that last week. I'm going to doubly disagree with it now. Like, what did he lose? He's not going to become a champ champ. It's not going to happen for him now. I'm not saying it's impossible for him to win the lightweight title. One, that is very unlikely. But I'm going to go on record and say if he does make a run at that belt, one, he's going to have to do it legitimately. Two, it's going to be after he is no longer featherweight champion, either because he loses it or voluntarily relinquishes it. That dream, that accolade is now gone. This is an eternal stain on his legacy. That might sound overly dramatic, but sorry, it is. And I hate saying it about the guy because I don't have any ill feelings or ill will towards Volkanovski, but you twice try to move up and you twice fall short to the same guy. You're forever now the guy who couldn't do it. And you're not alone in that. And just mention, like, Max couldn't do it. Aldo couldn't do it. TJ couldn't do it. But that's going to be there. And look, man, is Volk still the best featherweight in the world? I tend to think so. He still never lost at that weight class. Ever. He's still one of the greatest that division's ever seen. But in a at a current time when mobility and success between weight classes carries more weight than continued static success... We just kind of are where we are with this. Um, after the fight, he said, please, UFC, keep me busy. He, in, he said he'd still like to fight Ilya Teporia in January. I feel pretty confident that that's not going to happen. My man, you got knocked out. The first thing that's going to happen on this kind of a knockout is a medical suspension, probably for around 60 days. You want to do the math on this? And those medical suspensions are, they're usually phrased as no contact uh, suspensions. So... Um, some guys choose to ignore that, but I really hope he doesn't. Volkanovski, after the fact, I mean, one, him asking the UFC to keep him busy was weird. He's actually a pretty active fighter. He opened up at the post-fight presser about um, some mental health struggles related to this. And one, feel free to go watch it if you don't believe me. I'd encourage you to do so. This is something a lot of fighters have talked about in general. He was pretty specific, and he was visibly affected by it. There were a lot of fighters uh, you see on social media coming out and seeing him talk about this and then sharing, like, no, we get it, we've been there. I don't say the following lightly. And I don't say it with any sense of diminishment or demeaningness. I've had my own mental health struggles. What he's kind of describing here is the kind of thing that does require help. And I, that 
that doesn't mean you know there's something wrong with him and the uh, that would require way specific diagnoses that I am not capable of giving as a general rule the phenomena he's describing is something that is best helped with a professional and I really hope he gets that because if he's going stir crazy and getting in his own head about not having a goal, not having something on the calendar, not being in camp, from his last fight, which was um, when he beat Rodriguez in July, like three months, a little over. Um, fighters being very goal-oriented and very, like, calendar-driven, and you hear a lot of them talk about this, like, the day of the fight is the end of the world. There is nothing after that. Then you have to reset. Like, I understand that there are some, um, com like, performative and competition benefits to this. That is not healthy long-term thinking, as a general rule. Um, I... He even mentioned this, like, I don't know why I've got a beautiful family. He has a, by all accounts, a wonderful wife. They have kids. Uh, I think they had their, they have their first one, or they had a um, His wife gave birth recently. He's, you know, there, but, man, mental health in some respects, it is, it does not care, man. It does not care who you are. It, it does not care about your circumstances. If you are not taking care of that, someone who you can look from the outside and say, how? How could you? You had blah, 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 blah. Because if you don't have, if you don't have your mind and your emotions in a healthy place, all the material possessions in the world might mean nothing. Absolutely nothing. All you wind up doing is postponing the problem. And the voices in your head, and I don't whether that's le like legitimate schizophrenia or just I tend to externalize in some respects elements of my internal monologue slash dialogue. So I know it's me. I don't have some kind of dissociation about what's going on in my head. I don't hear voices in the sense of, wait, where did that come from? I don't have, like, the hallucinatory complex uh, on the audio, on the auditory side of things like that. So please don't think you're listening to a crazy person. But when I say, like, the voices in my head, I have to fight down, and I've been doing so for a while, like, they're always there. Your nice car isn't. Your game system, your big house, your other big house, your, in the, the stuff. Stuff doesn't matter. Your family matters, but even that, like, there's a reason that's kind of the last stopgap, because that's as close as you get to someone with you all the time. Even your family members are not in your head when you're in the shower. But, if you've got the wrong kind of mental health situation going on for any number of reasons, 
it's there, and it's in the back of your head all the time. So I really hope he is able to get this hand, get this under control. That is so much more important than anything he will ever do in the cage. Anything. So I'm sincerely hoping that he's able to. He was. T if you talk this openly about it, that's usually a pretty good sign that you're ready to consider steps beyond what you've been able to do for yourself. So, I hope he gets that sorted. I don't expect him to fight in January. Um, you can insist you're fine, but you got knocked out. You got kicked in the head, man. It's not good. Um, he got cut. One, the one around his, uh, over his left eye was not bad. It was over above the brow. Not a big cut, very small thing. The one over his right, the one on his right eyebrow that came from the head kick. That, that wasn't great. It was not a great cut. I just, a January turnaround seems very unlikely and frankly inadvisable. If you want to know the other downside to this, allow me to present the following. They're in Ca that um, that pay-per-view on January. I believe they're scheduling it for somewhere in Canada. Um, the UFC wants a title fight on there, clearly. UFC might still want a featherweight title fight on there, clearly. The UFC had Ilya Teporia pretty well set to be there. It is not at all out of the realm of possibility that our January pay-per-view main event is Ilya Teporia and Max Holloway for the interim featherweight title. If you think if you think that's out of the realm of possibility, you're kidding yourself. UFC likes Max. Max, Max and Canada seem to have a pretty good relationship. And Max Holloway might win that fight. Meaning, we might somehow be lined up against all probabilities for Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky 4. I don't know what to do with that. I I have no earthly idea. At that point, Volk might just say, take the belt, I'm moving to lightweight permanently, I don't need to fight this guy a fourth time. I've beaten him three times, twice very clearly. Their first fight, super competitive, pretty clear 3-2 for Volk. Second fight, I've been over before, uber close. Third fight, definitively not close. I... I don't know. Then again... That, so, that's what... I mean, if Teporia and Max fight, it we can't overlook the fact that Teporia might win. I have nothing but respect and admiration for Max Holloway... And I mean that. But that dude has a lot more miles on him than a used car at this point. He might have more miles on him than my car, and my car is about to hit 300,000. About to is a bit of a stretch, but it's it's closer to that than not. Closer to 300 than 250. That dude has been in wars. He's been doing this forever. and yeah. Teporia might win that. Teporia is very good. Um, if Teporia wins, that, that would set up a big fight. Now, again, this might change, who knows, but let's not pretend that's not possible, so, um, 
Sucks for Volk. I think he even admitted after the fact, like, you know, I bet on myself and for my mental health, I felt like I needed this. But this was a mistake. You, There is no one, let me put it this way, no one who can make 155 on 12 days notice is going to beat Islam Makashev on 12 days notice. That dude's too good. He is just too good. Um, so Volk took on an impossible task. And there was a chance for supreme glory. Turned out an impossible chance. Anytime you take a shot at supreme glory, there are consequences to missing. And I, he's gonna, we're going to be dealing with that and trying to dissect it later. So, like years later. So, I hope he heals up. I hope he gets right mentally and emotionally. And the schedule and availability is what will dictate what goes forward with that. So, yeah, that was the main event. Um, bit of a downer. Great moment for Mikashev. I hate to end on the downer side, but I talked about him first. So, bit of a downer. All right. Um, co-main event. Boy, some crazy stories came out about this one, huh? So, Kamzat Shemaev defeats Kamaru Usman via majority decision. 229-27 and a 28-28. I'm fine with either of those scores, personally. Um, there was a bit of drama at the open workouts for this where Usman may have popped his knee. Usman's knees are... By everyone's admission, there's a fair amount of bone-on-bone bone going on there. So, I I kind of doubt he completely, like, popped a ligament. And again, I mean, who knows? He might come out tomorrow and say, Oh, yeah, that popped. I've had an MRI. It's whatever's gone. And he's fought anyway. Because that's what we do here. Oy. Save it. Talk about it later. I'm going to talk about it, but I'll talk about it later. So, there was that. And then the story came out that not on the 12th, like, the official announcement of Paulo Costa withdrawal and then replacement a few days later with Usman. Prior to that, so like around the time the UFC might have known that something's up with Costa, he might not make the date. But less time out than, you know, full prep. Apparently the UFC called Sean Strickland and said, hey, on short notice, would you defend your title against Kamzat Shemaev? And... <laughs> Strickland said no. I don't blame... Man, how... <sighs> Imagine you're the UFC champion. You just had this triumphant moment. You've overcome one of... A truly terrible hard luck story. If you want, an, if you want some of the stories and history of um, Sean Strickland's early life, uh, the YouTube channel Mixed Molly Whoppery. Is doing a couple of part thing on him, and they did the first one. That's the like his early years and whatnot. You overcome that. You have a good, but you know, a little bit up and down kind of ho hum UFC career. You reinvent yourself. You find the right place to train that really clicks with you. You inexplicably wind up with a title shot because the UFC's pissed at a guy who couldn't make their schedule. You overperform against a maybe the arguably the best middleweight champion the UFC's had. I don't know how I would rank Izzy relative to Anderson Silva, but 
the discussion is there. And you overperform. He, you walk out with a clear decision win over the champion when nobody gave you much of a shot coming in. Personally guilty as well. Didn't give him too much. I said he was good, but I didn't see a compelling reason to pick him. Um, I, I think it would still make that pick, even though it's clearly not what happened. But either way, you come out of that. You've started to get your life right. And a month out from the next pay-per-view, the UFC calls you up and says, Hey, half of our co-main's probably fallen out. How about you step up on short notice to fight this guy we really... What does that say to you? I mean that. What does that say to you? Say what they think about you. So, when I said, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, you you said, wait, what do you mean nothing mattered? Clearly, Kamzat Shemaev beat Kamaru Usman. You can score this a draw, and I don't think that's wrong, but he did get the win. And the UFC said the winner of this fight gets the next title shot. Dana White's word and five bucks will get you partway to buying a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Dana White's word means nothing. And I wish people would realize that. I think people are starting to get on to figure that out. But Now, there's two reasons I don't think Kamzat Shemaev will get the next middleweight title shot coming off of this. One, a lot of people came out of this. We'll talk about the fight itself in a minute. A lot of people came out of this with more questions about him than answers. Frankly, if Paulo Costa were in good health and had fought this version of Shemaev, Paulo Costa would have won. Just being candid with you there. There's still some big questions about Shemaev at middleweight. He's still... You cannot... In a division with a ready... To go, number one contender. There is no debate about this. The deserving number one contender at what middleweight is Drickus Duplessis. UFC's pissed at him because the UFC is petty and punitive. Guys, Kamzat Shemaev has one win at middleweight against a real middleweight. It was a couple of years ago, and it was Gerald Mershart. We're going to leapfrog the guy who just finished Robert Whitaker in two rounds for a guy who gassed in the second and barely got around a welterweight who fought him on 12 days notice. We're doing this. I understand that the UFC is not a pure meritocracy. I understand there are pay-per-views to sell. I came out here publicly and said, I understand why the UFC is going with Colby Covington instead of Bilal Muhammad. They shouldn't. Bilal has earned that title shot a thousand percent. He is the deserving contender for Leon Edwards. But if there's a market and a financial consideration, and you can actually argue that there isn't for the UFC at this point in time, not going to make that case here, but you could argue that, believe it or not. The guy who couldn't get a legitimate pop while live in attendance at this event from the UAE crowd, despite repping Palestine and... Like, dude, the U- Bilal's on a good winning streak. He should be getting the next title shot. I'm on record there. 
But if you show that guy's face on camera in an event in the Middle East and the crowd goes crickets? I do kind of understand where they're coming from. I don't like it, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I don't understand it. And... So, there's that. And I get that. And I get that the UFC like Hamzat Shemaev, and I get that... He's got kind of a big personality. But... Let me be also be clear. Had he come out and just steamrolled Kamaru Usman, that would have... Maybe I'd be more inclined to be sympathetic. I am not sympathetic to him getting a title shot right now. So, one... One of the reasons I don't think he's getting it next, that. This was not the title performance, this is not the kind of performance that made a lot of people sit up and go, I want to see that guy fight for the belt. It wasn't that. It was a win. It's a win over a pretty good name. But it was a somewhat lackluster performance. It left a lot more questions than answers in some very real ways. And two, he injured his right hand. Now, you if you want to sit here and tell me, well, if he hadn't injured his hand, the second round would have looked more like the first round. Eh, maybe. But this might even be the more important point, because if he broke it, he, he said he thought he did. I don't know. I, I have no confirmation about his injury status, to be abundantly clear. If he broke his hand, let's just... Hypothetically, he broke his hand in the first round. He's not going to be physically ready to fight on the schedule when the UFC has the middleweight title penciled in on whatever their war room setting is for. Okay, we need title fights for pay-per-views here, 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 here. We want to do women's feather, women's bantamweight here, and then flyweight can be here. Here's where the welterweight title fight's going to be. The middleweight title fight is somewhere on there. Sean Strickland is healthy enough and ready enough to go that they called him to say, hey, short notice title defense for you. I'm not... Let me throw this out there. I'm not going to be shocked if he's the one they call and say, hey, January, we need... We were going to have Volkanovski and Teporia. Clearly not the case anymore. Can you defend your belt in January? We will find you an appropriate title challenger. They might do that. Or maybe February. I don't know. They have at least... They try to have one a month. Sometimes two. Depends on again, the exactitude of the schedule. They... That that might be in the future. If they do that, there's no way... Kamzat Shemaev has recovered from a busted hand fast enough to do that turnaround. There's no way. The next... I can tell you right now who's going to get the next title shot at the middleweight title. It's whoever is healthy and willing to accept the fight on the date at which the UFC says this is when we defend the title. That's it. Full stop. Dana White coming out and saying, you know, I'm putting Kamzat Shemaev's quote up in the apex because he had a, like, you know, what does this belt mean? It means I'm the best. Like, why did he accept the fight with Volkanovski on short notice? And he had this, you know, quasi-inspirational quote about it that Dan's like, yeah, we're going to put it up there. That belt means you're the best. It means you're the baddest. It means you jump when we say jump. You're on record in court admitting those belts mean nothing. Shut up. Ugh. So that's what's going to happen. 
whoever's healthy and ready to accommodate the UFC schedule, they if Strickland is healthy and ready to go January, February, March, and Kamzat Shemaev is not, guess who's not getting the next title shot? Shemaev might still fight for the belt when he comes back. I wouldn't like it. It and well, let me get into the fight in particular when I talk about to talk about why. But as far as the title picture goes, this was not the stamp and seal of approval that Shemaev needed to leapfrog deserving contenders. Frankly, an entire division. One win in that weight class against a real middleweight. Whoop de freaking do. I would pick Sean Strickland to beat him at this point. <laughs> so let's talk about the fight in particular. First round, Kamzat Shemaev comes out and does what he does. Quick uh, quick force to the cage, gets the back standing, rides Usman down, gets the back, spends like, what, four minutes on his back, something like that, some stupid percentage of the round. Has the back, has a choke attempt, and a couple that were decent, but nothing super close. Land some strikes, nothing devastating. But I don't know if Kamaru Usman landed a single relevant strike all around. In fact, I don't think he did. I'm not going to look up the stats because I don't think they're they're not relevant to the point. There was duration and dominance for that round for Kamaru Usman such that everyone agreed 10-8. And I think that's entirely called for there. Very fair. Second round, suddenly Shemaev is slower. He's not, he, I think only tried one takedown and didn't really, it might have happened near the end. He might have got that one and then didn't get any in the third. I can't remember exactly. But he loses the second round, basically a very slow-paced round, just gets outstruck in terms of relevant qualitative quality strikes by Usman. Third round, he kind of rallies a little bit, enough to win it in my eyes. Um, But... One judge still gave that third to Usman, and I don't think that's unfair. Usman said after the fact, you know, they offered me five rounds for this fight when they offered it to me. I should have taken it. <laughs> Dude, Chemayev, whatever the reason for this fight, was not in five-round shape. Two more rounds of this, I think Usman would have... I think Usman not only would have won, he might have finished him down the stretch. Um... There's some real stuff that Kamzat Shemaev has to address. His energy management is a problem. If he slowed down that much between rounds one and two, um, problem. Now, some of that is, you know, Usman's a very good fighter. I don't mean to say that this is true of everyone, but if we're getting to the point where we're talking about him near the title level, congratulations, everyone can do this. You're not going to just bulldoze some bum. I heard Rashad Evans talk a little bit about Kamzat Shemaev, and I think this is true as well. He fights like a bully, which is not always the worst thing in the world, but you need a second gear for someone who doesn't back down and doesn't break under that. And he doesn't quite seem to have that. Gilbert Burns stood up to him, pushed him backwards, made that a real fight. Kamaru Usman endured a really tough first round, persevered, came back, made it a fight. Um, I Look, I'm not saying that uh, Shemaev crumbles, 
but his decision-making is not as sharp, his strategy later is not as sharp, his physicality later is not as sharp. That's a problem. I've seen Sean Strickland fight for five rounds. Quite a few times, actually. Captain Apex main event there. I say, you know, with a degree with a, a, a degree of affection. <laughs> I've seen him do that. At a pretty decent clip. Uh, not so Hamzat. I haven't seen how Hamzat deals with genuine pressure from another guy. Like, Burns made him fight life and death in a firefight, but you know, what does Hamzat do when he's behind? Strickland would probably put him there at some point. I know Drakus Duplessis would put him behind. He'd have a tough first round, too, but if he didn't get him out of there, that second and third round, DDP would give him hell. I don't know how that looks. I I saw Conor McGregor tweet this, and I'm going to agree with him because I think he's right. Rebook Costa and Shemaev. That's pursuant to Costa getting over his staph infection, which, you know, could be nasty. I'm going to suggest if you can't rebook Costa, okay, someone else near... You want to go nearer the top of the division, okay. Jared Cannonier. Or... Um, Bo Nichols been trash-talking him for a little bit. I don't hate that fight. Um, that might be a bit early for Bo. I don't know. That's an option. Um, this is near the top of... Bantamweight. You could rematch him and Ikram Alaskerov. Those two fought on the regional scene, and Alskarov gave Shemayev problems before Shemayev caught him with an uppercut. You could rebook that. I'll get to Alaskarov in a minute. Marvin Vittori. Um, Roman Delidze, Jack Hermanson. Right? So if we look at the again, if we look at the division, you got Strickland as champion, number one, Adesanya. He says he's taking time away. I'm gonna not consider him for the moment. DDP. Whitaker, Cannoneer, Vittori, Costa, Delidze, Hermanson, Brendan Allen, Kelvin Gastelum, Nasruddin Imovov. We should take Gastelum out of that equation. He's trying welterweight again. Um, but, yeah, look. Hermanson, Delidze, Rebook, Costa, Vittori, Cannoneer. Someone in that, like, four to, four to eight range. Rebook him against someone like that. Make it a main event. And I... You would be doing him a disservice. You would be doing the division a disservice to le- to throw a guy who's shown a degree of promise, but has not won at well at middleweight against a legitimate middleweight contender. Don't do that to this guy, please. It's bad for him. It's bad for the division. It's bad for everyone. Don't do this. Is an this is the easiest pothole to avoid. Don't do it. He's still got visa issues, apparently, so you have some leeway. You have some wiggle room there. I'm begging you, UFC, don't make this mistake, please. There's, unless you know something we don't about his health and long-term viability, there's no reason for this. Please don't do it. Rebook him against the top content against a legitimate contender. Let's see how he does with that. Let's see how he does with a five-round 
camp in him. He may not go five rounds with whoever he fights. Win, lose, or draw. Well, draw would go five. Into the fifth. You get a majority, You get a tactical decision into the fifth round. But generally speaking, he he needs to at least prepare for a five-round fight before the title level, given what he's shown. If, if just don't do this. All right, you're gonna you are going to upset the natives. Um, the the fighters, man. Every time I I've said before, every time I think the fighters like might not take something, they just keep taking it. But you can only blow up the meritocracy show so much. And look, if Shemaev had finished Usman in the first round, okay, better case. We don't have it right now. Not with this evidence, not with the division where it is. Let's not be stupid about this. You've got two built-in reasons for this not to happen. You've got his injury and you've got his visa issues. Just, yeah, just don't. You don't need to upset the apple cart this much. Um, I don't know what's next for Usman. That's three losses in a row, man. Guy was on top of the world not too long ago. We were talking about him and GSP in the same breath. Like, would he surpass GSP? Um, I I don't think he did at the moment. I don't think he got close, man. He got closer than anyone else has. He's number two, and it's not that. And number three is not that close. But uh, yeah, man, it it is. It is what it is in that respect. So I'll have to wait and see what's next for him. If he wants to try middleweight again or go back to welterweight, who knows? But again, when you talk talk about something that, you know, did that fight really, did that fight tell us anything we didn't know? We already had some questions about Shemaev's gas tank. We had some questions about what he would look like at middleweight because he had the one fight there and that was it. He's still good. I still think and there's a lot of ability there, but this didn't help his cause in the way that you might have hoped. And speaking of fights that accomplished nothing, featured bout, light heavyweight, uh, former title challenger, vacant title, but Magomed Ankalaya, fresh off of that split draw. He should have won that fight. Just I, I'm not apologizing for my stance on that. I thought he won. He's coming off of that against somewhat surprisingly resurgent Johnny Walker. Walker seems to have found his footing recently, really kind of getting in his new flow. John Kavanaugh has kind of been working on smoothing out the wildness, marrying it with good technique and good decision-making, and we're, we're getting there, right? And first round is going... It's kind of going on Kalaev's way. Not huge, but it's going his direction. He lands a left to the body that Walker sells like it really hurt him. Did it really hurt him? I'm sure it didn't feel good. Was he playing possum? Considering that when Ankalaev came in looking to follow up, he threw a flying knee at him. I think there was a little bit of possum playing. Again, I'm sure it didn't feel good. I don't think it hurt him as badly as he made out. But hey, fighting, deception. No problems with it, believe it or not. But misses the knee, Ankalaev gets his back, rides him down against the fence, starts, you know, a wrist ride, landing some ground and pound. Moves, uh, Walker moves to a knee, 
Still against the fence. Ankolaev gets to his feet, leans into him, pretty standard position, and knees him in the head. And here is where things get... Now, I don't know if Ankolaev was trying to knee him in the head. He hit him in the head. He might have been aiming... Aiming is the wrong word, because he wasn't looking at the target. If Walker had continued to get up at the pace at which he was getting up when the knee was thrown, and continues on, like, any major, tra- any of the reasonable trajectories, that knee hits him in the chest. This is the risk you take, however, when you throw this technique, if you're... Because you can't see, not really. So, you're relying on timing and touch and you again your sensitivity to the position if you read that wrong congratulations you fouled the guy and he did things go sideways when the referee breaks them apart reasonable tells the coaches no coaching during the timeout boy a lot of that there were plenty of breaks in this in some of these fights and the referees always had to tell the coaches you can't coach during a timeout which is true um, but, so Walker, you know, he gets up, he walks over to the side of the fence where he's directed by the ref, Uncle Iv goes over to where he's directed, and the referee looks over and calls in the doctor, and those of us who were watching the prelims slut out a groan, because this doctor, I will yell about him more later. Um, so the doctor comes in and the referee says, he got need in the head, which is true. I would like you to do a concussion test, you know, concussion protocol thing. Make sure he can continue. Oh, boy. Now, I don't know how unreasonable that is. If the referee saw something in Walker's posture or his gait or his eyes that he didn't like and he wanted the doc to look at it, not unreasonable. This did not look like the worst knee in the world to me. I've seen far harder knees connect to the head in similar positions, or whether it's legal or illegal. But not all blows to the head are created equal. There's timing, there's vision, there's innumerable things. If the referee saw something he didn't like, calling in the doctor is not out of bounds. The doctor comes in and goes over to Johnny Walker and asks him, what country are you in? Here's where I have a bit of an issue with how this was conducted. That is not... Some people, you know, kind of memed on this. Like, you know, he's in Abu Dhabi. What do you want him to find it on a map? He didn't ask him to find it. He didn't ask him to spell it. Asking what country are you in is not an unreasonable request of a fighter. You... If you're in your native country, the answer should be fairly evident. Even if you're not, you booked flight, you booked travel there. You got your passport stamped. You had currency exchange. You had what, you've been driving around the city. Like, it's not unreasonable to ask what location you're in. I mean, there's one of these, there was a Frank Mir fight. I forget which one. It might have been his second fight with Brock Lesnar. Don't quote me. But coming out of the first round, he got smashed. He got he'd been hit pretty darn hard. He's in his corner, 
And after he's taken kind of a beating, the doctor comes over and is checking on him and says, hey, do you know where you are? And Frank's immediate affirmative response is, I'm at the Pearl at the Palms fighting. Well, he's fighting, but over his head on the padding around the rim of the octagon is MGM Grand. They didn't stop that fight. Partially because, well, the specifics might have been wrong. He knows what city he's in. And if you know what city you're in, and he knows what he's doing. Was he woozy from being punched in the head repeatedly? I'm sure. But the doctor didn't, again, the doctor's response was not, no, sorry, wrong, you're at the MGM Grand. Um, We're going to stop the fight now. If I'm right, and it was the Brock Lesnar fight, he went on to get stopped violently anyway, but neither here nor there. It's, again, it's the spirit of the question and the protocol being observed. Like, I've seen people give the worst responses you can imagine to this question. If you watch some lower-level MMA or even boxing, like, I watched a guy basically out on his feet get asked by the referee, or by the doctor, like, do you know where, it might have been the ref, do you know where you are? And his response was, shoes. Like, we're done here. <laughs> if your response is, I'm fighting, and you're in, you can give the right city, if not the right venue, like, again, there's some wiggle room here that has to be applied. Either Johnny Walker didn't respond, or whatever response he gave, the doctor didn't understand or didn't like. Johnny Walker's corner, so this is John Kavanaugh, he's coming out and claiming that Johnny's response to this was, I'm in the desert. Now, that's not inaccurate. Abu Dhabi is not the wastelands of the Sahara Dunes, but it is a desert by every reasonable definition. In fact, there's only one reasonable definition of a desert. How much annual precipitation falls. That's how you determine desert status. The Middle East, or Western Asia if you prefer, it's a desert. He's not wrong. He also asked him, what round is it? That, I don't know how I feel about that as a question. Fighters who haven't had their bell rung occasionally lose track of rounds. Now, in the first round, maybe you're maybe it's not unfair to ask, but... I mean, I remember, like, um, when Justin Gagey fought Tony Ferguson. Now, Gagey got hit a few times in that fight. But um, Trevor Whitman told him between rounds, we're going into, I think it was before the fifth. Um, yeah, we're in the... Uh, it was before the 4th or the 5th. I forget which one. doesn't matter. But the, um, this is more evident in the... I think Gagey's YouTube channel has it. The uncut corner um, audio. The broadcast audio switches over to that, and Gagey seems happy. And he explains that, when you see the whole thing, Trevor Whitman tells him it's the 5th round. I think it's the 5th. It's the 5th round. And Gaethje's happy because I, di I didn't think I was in this good a shape. He's not just, you know, jovial about being in a fight. And Whitman recenters him with, no, you stay sharp. The last What happened the last time you started having fun? He got stopped twice. Stay sharp. But, again, get, um, he lost track of what round it was. And that's a fight he was dominating in many real ways, brutally. So, I don't love that as a question, but it's it's not wholly unfair either. But here's the other thing. Again, the thing about this that really kind of perturbs me and some other people. 
Because the doc, whatever response happens, the doc doesn't like it, tells the ref he can't continue, the ref, wa- the ref waves it off. Everybody's pissed. Johnny Walker's native language is not English. I don't think his English is terrible. He might be conversant. But if we're dealing with stuff like this, get a translator up there. Doesn't have to be his corner, man. You want the official translator to hop on up. He was right there. Get the translator there so that good communication is possible. Not a fan of how this was handled. And so again, ref waves it off. Walker's pissed. He starts shoving. He shoves the ref. He wants to keep fighting. Ankolaev's not exactly thrilled. He kind of wants to keep going. And because he sees Walker is pissed, he gets a little bit heated. Dana White had to get up in there and calm both of them down. And it didn't escalate beyond that. um, But it got heated, and that could have gone sideways in a hurry. Um, It didn't. Dana White was pretty pretty vocal, saying, we're going to get this figured out. They're probably going to rebook this fight. And you know what? Fine. I would be fine with that. This was like... Borderline a number one contenders fight. And we've got a no contest after three minutes. Look, was Ankalaev in the winning position at this point? Yes. It was not a settled thing. This was not, he had beaten the crap out of Walker. And Walker, you know, got lucky with an illegal blow to escape. No, no, no. Wasn't that. Not at all. They might rebook it. It'll make a perfectly fine Apex main event. You know, I, I joked that John Jones cursed the UFC light heavyweight title. I'm starting to wonder if he didn't curse that division. It would be one thing if the... Because we have no champion. Not only is there no champion at light heavyweight. In theory, that's going to be rectified when Yuri Prochka and uh, Alex Pereira fight. Assuming that fight happens. And with this division, who knows? You don't have a hierarchy. You don't have a number one contender. You don't have a rising star. You don't have an old guard. You don't have anything. You have the waste. T.S. Eliot's wasteland is light heavyweight. That's what we've got here. I made a T.S. Eliot reference on an MMA podcast. Did not expect to do that. But check that off the old bingo, the old personal bingo card, I guess. This division is a dumpster fire. It is... I don't know what it is. Rebook the fight. They're just desperately trying to sort that division out, man. And I don't envy them one iota. I don't know what happened to it. But that division is... John cursed it. I am convinced of this now. John cursed everyone who fights in the UFC at light heavyweight. I don't know how he did it. But he did it. So that was a waste of time. Middleweight fight. Ikram Alaskerov, one of the other bright spots of the main event. He defeats Worley Alves via TKO, throws a head kick, throws a flying knee, two minutes, seven seconds of the first round. Here's why this was a borderline waste of time. I'll stress borderline here. For one reason and one reason only. Alaskarov had one fight in the UFC coming into this. He struggled a little bit before he knocked Phil Haas stupid. So, 
getting another at this point for him getting another UFC fight under your belt does have value in and of itself. He was supposed to fight Nasruddin Imavov. Instead, on somewhat short notice, he fights a guy who made his who technically fought at middleweight once. He won a tough Brazil season at middleweight, immediately dropped to welterweight, and has been there forever. When, when specifically was his last UFC middleweight fight? Hang on. Um, 2014. May of 14. So, you know, almost 10 years ago. So instead of fighting a decently highly ranked middleweight rising contender in Nasruddin Imavov, Ikram Alaskarov gets to beat up a blown-up welterweight who hadn't fought in this division in almost a decade on a, who was on a two-fight losing streak. Again, the fact that Alaskarov is so junior in his UFC career, this was his second fight for them. I'm willing to grant that just getting more fights in the UFC at this point is valuable. But he's way too good for this. He needs to be fighting someone like Nasruddin Imavov next. Imavov was, what, 11? Yeah. This guy should be fighting, like, 10 to 15. He's that good. Anything else is almost, like, cruel to the division. Get him a... Rebook the Imavov fight, if at all possible. If not, Paul Craig... Wouldn't hate him and Andre Muniz. I don't want him and Chris Curtis. Because I like Chris Curtis. And I actually would rather... There's other people I'd rather see Chris Curtis fight. Um, but... Someone like that. He's that good. That's what he should be looking at next. He... Again, unfortunate circumstances, but... Even with that consideration... Getting your second UFC win is a good thing. Um, he looked good. Give him tons of credit. One of the, again, one of the fewer bright spots. Another potential bright spot. Saeed Nurmagomedov. He submits uh, Muin Gafarov with a ninja choke. 113 of the first. Not a whole lot to talk about here. A um, few long-range kicks. Gafarov closes distance, tries to get a clinch. Not mindful of hand fighting and hand position. And Nurmagomedov, um, his ninja choke or power guillotine, if you will, again, the difference between those two. I don't like getting into the weeds on this. My understanding of the difference, the grip is not actually in question. The grip is getting one arm around the neck and getting it so deep that you reach up and grab your own bicep. So again, the rear naked choke kind of figure four grip. My understanding and kind of the way I first heard this was the power guillotine is with the head still off to the side in the crook of your arm. The ninja choke is with it in the middle of your chest. Small distinction. Doesn't matter. I call it a ninja choke if you get that grip, personally. Because it's easier than going through the umpteen guillotine variations when I'm when trying to talk through technique. Um, Gafarov, I, I, when I previewed this, I said he got thrown a little bit to the wolves here. Um, was not quite ready for Saeed Nurmagomedov. He's pretty good. He should probably be fighting ranked opposition next. Bantamweight's a great division. Um, yeah, good win for him. 
would like to see him take, uh, he should be fighting ranked, guys. He's, I know he had the loss to Jonathan Martinez, but, you know, Jonathan Martinez, really darn good. So let's let's get him back fighting. I don't mean to say that Gafrov is some bum, but he shouldn't be fighting guys in their second UFC fight. Uh, just a thought. Uh, so good win for him. He got the main card off on that particular foot. So main card, prelims. Oy vey. Muhammad Makayev defeats Tim Elliott via arm triangle choke. Three or three of the third. I'm not going to say lucked out. That's the wrong way to phrase this. But Makayev is fortunate he got that finish. He was down two rounds on two of the judges' scorecards, and I agree with that. First round, I think, is non-controversially Tim Elliott's. He comes out, throws a few punches, avoids a kick, gets a takedown, spends some time in top position. Not a tremendous amount done from there, but he holds it. He does get some elbows off. Makayev is eventually able to regain his feet, gets his own takedown near the end of the round, Elliott's round. Second round, Makayev gets a takedown fairly quickly, gets caught in a guillotine, has to fight his way out of it, gets stuck in Elliott's guard for long minutes on end, Elliott tries a triangle choke, gets very tight, gets close, Makayev slams free, doesn't do much with top position. I thought Elliott won that round even off of his back. Because he did stuff that mattered, Makayev didn't. Third round, pretty quick takedown from Makayev. Works from top position. Finally is able to pass. Threatens an arm triangle, gets it near the end, gets the tap. But, look, Makayev, he hits a sick peek out in this fight, by the way. Near the um, Elliot has him down. Makayev kind of wall walks, hits a peek out, reverses, gets on top. Beautiful wrestling. We need to talk for a minute or two about Muhammad Makayev here. He's young. This is all fixable. But his lack of meaningful offense is becoming a problem. Um, his striking is not great. He has a couple of nice kicks, but that's not his primary focus. His top control is good. When he gets on top, he's pretty good about holding it, but he does not ground and pound. His passing game is not that dynamic. He's not great about damaging you to open things up. If he hadn't been able to find this arm triangle, if Elliott hadn't committed to the wrestling against the fence the way he had in that third round, if he'd backed off and kind of, he could have ridden that out and won a split decision that I would have thought he won. And again, two of the people that matter would have thought he won. You can't have four minutes. I'm going to look up the stats for this one because I think this matters. Vent, um, Kaev, and Elliot. Totals per round. Second round. My man had four minutes of. Top control, 4.56 of control time. So that's Clint, that's um, fence wrestling and top control in the traditional sense. And do you want to know how many significant strikes he landed? Three. He's credited with throwing 65 total strikes. A lot of those are really small. They were really short stuff that did not matter. 
if you have every second but four in a round under your control and you land three significant strikes, something is very wrong. Something is very wrong. Zero sub attempts, by the way. That's a problem. He only landed one significant strike in the third. I mean, Tim Elliott's a little bit faded, and that kind of saved him here. There's a lot of ability in Makayev. Wrestling, super good, super good top control. He must find better ways to weaponize this. This is, we have a clear pattern with him at this point. He's going to come across somebody who he is not going to be able to reliably take down, who he is not going to be reliably able to hold down. Or even if he does, if he's not going to have enough offense and he's going to lose. He's going to get outstruck from the bottom. He's going to get outstruck from the... He's got to start fixing this. This was a little better than his last time. But somebody get this guy a good ground and pound coach. Your top control should not be this dominant with so little offense based on it. That that just shouldn't happen. He has to get on this, or he doesn't, and he's going to learn that the hard way. Some fighters do that. Um, but a the best win of his career, by a good margin, definitely gets credit for that. He said he wanted to fight Kai Kara France after the fight. You know what? I'd be okay with it. He wants to start fighting ranked guys. I don't think that's unfair. And, man, Kara France might have something for him. So, again, we'll see. Uh, lightweight Trevor Peak defeated Muhammad Yaya via unanimous decision. 230-27. Didn't agree with that. 129-28. I gave Peak rounds two and three personally. Nothing of note here. Yaya had an okay first round, but then he just stopped throwing a whole lot. Peak wrestled him a little bit. I I saw Jack Slack say the following, and I think there's some truth to this. He I I respect Nate Landwehr because he started as a Mimi fighter and then got better. I kind of hate Trevor Peak for the same thing. <laughs> He started as a he started as a Mimi fighter and is trying to improve. Peak's one of those guys who maybe again just got to the UFC too early. Um, there's just stuff that you only get via experience, and the UFC is not a good the UFC is not a good place to learn. You're gonna learn stuff while you're there, but there's some stuff you don't want to learn there. And Peak is still trying to figure himself out in some respects, and eh, this is stuff you should have figured out on a smaller scene, general, ideally. Um, yeah, kind of a nothing fight. All right, back to things that don't matter. Javid Basharat defeated, and Victor Henry, sorry, went to a no contest 15 seconds into the second round. Um, man. I feel so bad for Victor Henry here. So, first round, bit of a feeling out process, not a bad round. I thought Basharat won it, 
but it felt a little bit like Henry had made, started making a few reads, was starting to find some strikes, especially in close. Like, it was a good first round, a good first round that I thought Basharat won. Second round, again, 15 seconds in, Basharat throws an inside leg kick, and the from what I can see on the replay, and the replay is not very helpful here, feet and toes, like the end of that, goes up into the groin, like under the cup, hits him. Henry drops immediately one of the worst um, groin shots I've seen. Um, this is up there with, like, it's not quite as bad as um, there was one... We saw a guy vomit in the cage, basically, I think. Who was that? It was, um... I can't remember. Old, older fight. Older fight. Was it... I want to say Alessio Sakara was involved? I don't remember. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Forgive me. Um, Chris Tuxure took a pretty gnarly kick to the groin from uh, Gabriel Gonzaga. Like, there have been a few. This is up there. Henry drop again, he drops immediately. He is hurting. And we don't actually have a great replay angle of this. So they're, they're trying to figure that out. They're trying to find replays. They can't find a good one. One of them makes it look like, and here's what I think happened with the replay that we see. The, like, ankle... And the heel, like that very end of your foot when you're kicking, that seems to make contact with the inner thigh. The rest of the foot does look like it kind of gets up under, like almost like at the back of the cup, which is real bad to get kicked there. And so the crowd is suddenly unhappy because they think it's a legal blow. The doctor, this quack, I'm, I'm calling him that comes in to check on Victor Henry and says, it hits you in the thigh. I, I'm, I'm sorry. No. I have never seen a fight doctor come in and accuse a fighter of faking it. That's what you were doing, buddy. This guy's on the ground saying, I got kicked in the groin. And... Respect to Victor Henry, he's not that good an actor. And your response is, I saw a blurry replay on the big screen. It was on your thigh. No. 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 This guy handled this so badly. Um, Henry, again, they give him the full five minutes. At the four minute and like... 42nd mark, he's finally able to stand and can't turn around to face the ref after the as the five minutes expire. Ref waves it off. Um, crowd's pissed. I understand it. Bashrat's frustrated. I understand. You didn't want that. Nobody wanted this. But after the fact, um, Javed Basharat took to social media, Ill, 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 allegedly Javed Basharat, 
I don't know if I don't know if he's managed by Ali Abdelaziz, but if he is, Ali doing the tweeting for him is kind of par for the course. Like gets on Twitter and goes, you know, he might have been responding to Josh Barnett. So Barnett is the lead. He's the I think he's uh, Henry's like head coach. I think he was his only corner man too, which I don't like only having one corner man. I think for like regulation purposes, you should have to have more than one, but. If you if you are of the opinion that you only need one, you know you could do worse than Josh Barnett. But again, there were these you know, accusations of malingering, so Victor Henry has to be helped to the back by Josh. Reports come out pretty quickly that he's in the back vomiting. They take him to the hospital, and the doctors there decide we need to ultrasound your testicles. But no, tell me again how this only hit him in the thigh. So again, Barnett posts one of these updates and Bashra jumps in like, you know, and I know, and my team, and he knows that was a legal blow. There were all these cameras in there and nobody could find an angle of it. And this reeks of like a guy like Ali Abdelaziz, if I'm being perfectly honest. So Barnett like kind of ran down like, no, here's what's happening. And part of his response to that was, yeah, please send me the medical records. Like, piss off. Medical reports. You're entitled to nothing. Assuming that's Javid. And I'm not so sure it is, mind you. Whoever's making this tweet. You're entitled to nothing. Javid Bashara kicked him in the groin. He didn't mean to. I'm not accusing him of doing this intentionally, by the way. But you kicked him in the groin. If you didn't, the doctors at the emergence at the hospital would not have gone, you know what, we should ultrasound this guy's testicles. I mean, Barnett's out here saying, you know, they're like, uh, you know, various orange sizes. Not full-on navel oranges, but, you know, the mandarins, I think was the one he said. You are desperately clinging whoever's making these tweets. In the face of all available evidence, you are clinging to, no, it was a legal blow. Please stop. You're embarrassing yourself, whoever you are. I, again, I'm not accusing Basher out of being a dirty fighter. I don't think he is. I don't, he was not looking for a way out. He, I thought he won the first round. Victor Henry was not looking for a way out. He did, he was competitive in that first round. And he usually kind of comes on stronger as the fight goes on. There was no reason for him to look for a way out. As far as like, oh boy, I'm losing badly. Wasn't that? They might try to rebook it again. We'll have to see whatever um, in updates there are on Victor Henry's injury. So again, we have to see if that was update. But man, Javid Basharat, I just looked. So he made an Instagram post and like doubling down on this. I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Like, again, let me see if. I got to see who reps Basharat. Hang on. Because I know he fights out of Extreme Couture. And Eric Nixick and Dewey Cooper over there, like, I, I, they understand the fight game in some respects, but, and I know Dewey Cooper was not exactly thrilled with, uh, <laughs> with the ruling in real time, but if, if he's repped by dominance, I'm calling this as Ali. Hang on. Okay, I can't find out who reps him, so... I'm going to leave it at that. If it's him speaking for himself, yeah. 
don't love it. If he's repped by Ali in Dominance MMA, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna say that's Ali doing this. So again, just a hunch. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see if Victor Henry is able to recover. Hope he does. I I thought this was a good fight on paper, and I I I picked Basharat, but Henry, dude, he's good. Very underappreciated. So no contest. Um, yeah, it sucks. Hope Henry recovers. You never like to see that. Uh, middleweight, Cedricus Dumas defeated Abdullah Zaitar via unanimous decision, 28 across the boards. Not much here. Um, Dumas gets a takedown in the first off of a spinning kick, I seem to recall, by Azaitar. Dominates him on the ground. He controls the rest of that round. Second round, lot of nothing. Azaitar, slightly better flurries. Third round, Dumas gets his jab going, just kind of coasts out a third round, gets the win. This was the fight with hair pulling, and where Daniel Cormier apparently doesn't know the rules of MMA. And then he got salty about people questioning his knowledge. You you turn yourself into a, a company shill with a like pseudo-jokey personality, people are going to stop taking you seriously. Whether they should or not is debatable. It, twice. Grabbed his hair in the first round, grabbed his hair in, I think, the third. It, take a point, ref. Jeez. There was, again, there was a fair amount of this. So you had the Basharat thing, which... Oh, I, met, I forgot to mention this about the Micaiah and Elliott fight. Tim Elliott, on the record, saying, I'm going to cheat when I fight until the refs tell me to stop. My man knows what's up. Like, there, If you break down fights, statistics... Like, if you try to game theory out MMA, if you don't kick your opponent in the groin in the first, like, two minutes, you're probably doing it wrong. Because there's no penalty. The ref will warn you. All right, sorry, didn't mean to do it. Then, you know, a minute and a half later, poke him. You might want to wait, like, towards the end of the round, poke him in the eye. You'll get a warning. Sorry, sorry, I won't do it again. You kicked the guy in the groin, you poked him in the eye. You have a demonstrable advantage now. And, you know, if he tries to take you down in, like, the latter half of the second or third round, yeah, grab the fence. And if you can keep your hands away from him, grab the gloves. Throwing a few shots to the back of the head on occasion, you can get, like... I swear the MMA rules are just suggestions. Oh, sorry. Other thing about um, Elliot and Mikhaev. Forgot to mention this. So, third round of that fight. I think it was the third. Um, Elliot has Mikhaev in a front headlock. Mikhaev is on his feet, bends down, puts his hands on the ground. Elliot lifts him up so his hands come off the ground, knees him in the head. Perfectly legal. Little bit dicey on the timing, but looked good. Pushes him against the fence. Mikhaev drops to a knee. Referee, you know, he's down. Elliot thinks about kneeing him, decides against it. Kind of pulls him up. He goes into a deep squat. Without a hand on the ground, and Elliot knees him in the head. Legal. There's another one in there where Mikhaev, one of his legs is kind of bent down. The knee isn't actually touching, but it's close. Elliot knees him again. The referee goes, okay, hang on, I got to check that. Looks at the replay, confirms it was legal, gives Tim Elliott the position back in the front headlock. But can we just be done with this, please? Can we just, I'm going to say this publicly, I'm not the first, I'm not the bravest, I'm not the biggest to say this. The, and I said this before, though, the rule set for one championship is better 
than the unified rules of MMA is currently constituted. Knees to the head of a downed opponent. Make them legal, please. Let's get away from this crap. There's statistical analysis out there of this. The Colorado State Athletic Commission released their findings. They examined before they decided to sanction one rule set to let them. Uh, they looked at it. Here's all the fights where it's happened. Where here's all the fights that have taken place under this rule set where knees to the down to the head of a downed opponent are legal. Here's this broken down by weight class. Here's the number of times it's happened. Here's the number of times it's played into the finish. The answer is a very small percentage, heavily favoring the lighter weight classes. Please, it is no more dangerous or risky than anything else that takes place in the cage. Please fix this. This is stupid. Let's throw, let the 12 to 6 elbows in. That's always been stupid. Legalize knees to the head of a downed opponent. Please. There's empirical data about this. If it changes, we can change the rule. But there's empirical data here. And to anyone out there going, but there's so many times, I would, if you change the rules, fighters will change. A lot of the time spent in that position where you are vulnerable to that will go away. Getting out of it will become a point of urgency. How you fight will change. Don't give me that. They have a superior rule set. Let's adopt it. Let's let's not be stuck where we are. Please, I beg of you. I understand I'm begging individual bureaucratic sclerotic government agencies to do this, but please give us knees to the head of a downed opponent. Ugh, would fix so many annoying positions and annoying bits where the referee has to be involved and just just stop. We can fix all this very easily. Very, very easily. Um, uh, yeah, again, about Dumas and his life. You'd, you'd grab the hair twice. Ref, come on, enforce the rules. Uh, Mike Breeden, missed weight, weighed 159 and a half. Defeats Angel Jubilee via uh, punch, knockout punches three minutes of the third round. So Jubilee has a good first two rounds. He's longer. He's fighting long. He's got a jab going. He's moving well. It's all kind of going his way. Breeden comes out for the third round and starts marching him down, pushing the pace, barking at him, literally barking, yelling at him, chanting USA, and he unsettles Jubilee. And when Jubilee is a little bit unsettled, he starts getting hit. And Breeden hits him, hurts him, keeps pushing, eventually gets a right one-two, drops him, gets the finish. Heck of a comeback from how the first two rounds went. So, one, I don't like guys missing weight, so there's that. But two, let this be a, a valuable lesson to everybody. There are some good fighters out there, and Jubilee's a pretty good fighter who fight very well when everything is going according to plan. Usually with these kinds of fighters, what you try to do is get them out of their plan physically. You, If they're very good technically, you try to turn the fight into a brawl wherein they are not as good. Here, there was a bit of that, but when the human brain encounters something it's not used to, it has to reset. 
Jubilee was not prepared for the for Mike Breeden letting out the crazy, and it unsettled him. It's, this is why like people freeze in the face of violence all the time. If you have not trained to do something, generally the default is to freeze. When confronted with serious stress or serious or something that you are not familiar with and have not built pat- built patterns for or responses, you freeze, your brain tries to reset, and then you have to approach the new fangled thing. Again, you see this is why people why you see some people like stuck not quite wanting to run when something bad happens around them. This is why there was um I was thinking it was earlier this year. There was that horrible um, attack on a on children at a friend a playground in France. Some maniac with a knife. And you can see the footage. There's somebody trying. There's a woman who grabs her child and tries to run, but she like half tries. She starts moving, gets a little bit away, half turns. She doesn't know what to do. She should still be running, but she doesn't know that. She might know it intellectually, but she's never practiced it. Suddenly, knife-wielding maniac, what do I do? There's a guy who's trying to deal with, who's like trying to confront the knife-wielding maniac, and he's trying to keep him from running. And he's, this guy is on the equipment, and at one point trying to get a, like in front of the guy and keep him from, you know, he's tr- trying to cut him off uh, laterally. He takes the slide. Like, and you might ask yourself, well, why? And the answer is actually pretty simple. This is a guy who has never confronted a knife-wielding maniac, much less one stabbing children. He's never done that. He doesn't know what to do. He's at the top of a slide. He's done that hundreds of times in his life, would be my bet. So have you and I. Like, I used to, you know, it's something kids do. You've done that. Your body knows what to do there. You go down the slide. You don't know what to do about the knife-wielding maniac. You're... You're trying to process that. You're trying to do something about it, but you don't know what to do. You don't know how to do it. And in the process of this, you default to something you do know. You know how to use this piece of equipment. You go down the slide. Angel Jubilee has sparred a lot. He's fought. He knows how to do that. He knows how to do that in technical sense. Clearly, he has never been confronted by someone walking at him, barking and screaming and unsettling him and then throwing punches at him. Never confronted it. It's not so. Depending on where you are in your career, it might not be something you've encountered. This is, you know, certain guys who talk trash in the cage or in the ring and fear boxing. It, it messes with some people, like because you don't know what to do. You didn't spar with someone insulting you and your mother and your posterity and your children in front of you the whole time. You don't know what to do there. Please shut up and punch me. I know how to deal with that. I've sparred. You're talking, you're barking, you're... Uh, yeah, again, the whole thing freaks out. There's value in that. There's value in psychological warfare in the cage when you fight. Example of that from Breeden. Breeden also, again, missed weight pretty badly. 159 and a half for a lightweight fight. Um, admitted after the fact he had staff. The la- These next three fights, like him, um, the next fight, and the one before that, all... Fighters who won admitted they had staph infections. Horrible. Don't do that. But Dana White's response was just, I don't know why you'd come out and admit it after the fact. If you're going to lie, just lie all the way through. 
you encourage this. You fostered a culture where this is important. You, the UFC wants fighters who win, lose, whatever their physical condition, just say yes whenever they're offered a fight. And then you expose a bunch of people to staff. Okay. Consequences of poor decision making and a poor culture. Um, another thing loosely related to Jubilee, by the way, because he's um, Indian. He's from India, the country. There was a... Because there's a lot of people there, um, there was, a, there was a, I believe, an Indian reporter who at the press... At like the pre-fight presser um, asked the UFC about running an event in India. This poor guy was then booed, shouted down, hurled insults at, and the audience, because the UFC still has these open to the public... The audience in, in the UAE booed this gentleman and began chanting Pakistan. And Dana White, president of the UFC, head of a multi-billion dollar enterprise, at the podium goes, I don't know why everyone, pardon my French, is shitting on India. I am sorry, man, you're older than I am, and I'm old enough to remember when India and Pakistan became nuclear powers and there was a genuine fear they were going to nuke each other. The acrimony between Pakistan and India is so old. It is so old. These two nations have been at each other's throats at times. They've been, they have been military conflicts. They've been on the brink of serious war. And again, both nuclear powers. For a long period of time, the big worry was that the U.S. and the Soviet Union were going to nuke each other and it was all going to be over. I was not alive for most of that. I was alive when, when India and Pakistan became nuclear powers and there was a real fear that they were going to kick it off. And you've got this guy up there going, I don't know. Now, again, the issues between India and Pakistan are old, and there's complexity there. I'm not taking a side in this, okay? On the off chance I have listeners from either side of it. I don't know enough to take a genuine side, okay? Part of the acrim- part of the conflict there, part. India is majority Hindu, last time I checked. Pakistan is majority Muslim. It shouldn't surprise you, then, that the geographically closer country and the one with a religion predominantly based with the religion of the home of the host of this event is not sympathetic is not only sympathetic to Pakistan, but hostile to India. And this poor guy I don't think Jubilee got a lot of this, but that poor journalist experienced racism. I'm Indian. Would the UFC like to run an event in India? And everyone, every fan there, boo! Just because he didn't say anything about Pakistan. He asked the UFC, you've got a fighter from India and you're looking at making some others. Are you considering running an event there? And he is from that country. He's a reporter from that country. This is a banal question. And just because of the nationality and potential ethnicity, again, the ethnicity plays for that. Um, India has um, some different ethnicities at play that 
is another part of the reason for conflict between Pakistan and India, because on the border, who do you... Yeah. Again, geopolitical issues. I, I am not up to date on every nuance, and I'm not going to go into it here. You don't care. This is just for me to say that poor reporter was harassed and harangued for racism. <laughs> By racism, basically. Not for racism, but for racist reasons. Because when we support Pakistan, whether they're right or wrong, because they're majority Muslim. And the UAE is, again, explicitly Muslim. Oy. Ugly. It was an ugly thing, man. Throwing that out there. That was ugly. Uh, featherweight up next. Mohammed Naimov defeats Nathaniel Wood via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. I... Two things. One... Our referee here was uh, uh, Wukas Basaki. This man might as well have been a cardboard cutout. Allow me to express to you the number of fouls committed by Naimov in the course of this fight. In the first round, in the clinch, he knees Nathaniel Wood in the groin. Then falls it up by kneeing him in the body, legally. Now, that might just have happened. They were both clinched up. Neither can really see what they're doing all that well. You're making best guess about about kneeing into either the thigh or the body. We've seen that before. It sucks. It does happen on occasion. But it was not a... It was a pretty bad knee. In the second round, he proceeds to open that round basically by throwing a leg kick, an inside leg kick that goes, say it with me, into the groin. Referee should have taken a point. That was a bad kick. So you've had two groin strikes, both of them pretty severe. No point taken. Um, Naimov, let me get through the fouls, then I'll talk about some of the skills. There is um, a blatant fence grab, as Wood is going for a takedown. I believe that was the third round. There is a bunch of instances of him grabbing inside the glove to try and control Wood's hands when Woods is trying to pound him out in the end of the third. Um, there, I think there was another one in there. Like, I think the only thing he didn't do was poke Nathaniel Wood in the eye. I think that was the only thing he didn't, the only foul he did not commit. There should have, I'm not saying Nathaniel Wood should have won this fight. Two rounds to one, I believe, is the appropriate scorecard. Naimov wins rounds one and two loses the third. My contention, and let me be very clear about this, the contention of a lot of people is that this should have been a draw because all that fouling at some point should have cost Naimov a point. Whether that means Wood wins the third round 10-8 or we get a 9-9 second, it does not really matter. There was an egregious amount of fouling here. And there was no consequence for it. Rules are only rules if they're enforced. There's a couple of... Ex- let, me, let me rephrase. Just slightly. Man-made rules are only rules if they're enforced. There are sort of the natural laws, and then if you're a religious type, and I I am, and, and God's law, those are enforced. 
you ain't breaking the law of gravity. Even if you go to, even if you go into outer space, gravity's still in play. It's just very different because you're not close to something that has enough gravitational pull. Doesn't matter. Point being, there's there are laws that are enforced by kind of the natural order of things. You can call those God's laws too. I tend to. And most of God's laws about how you behave, the enforcement is somewhat self-evident. Whether you be, whether you believe or not, frequently violating some of those precepts has negative consequences. So whether you consider this as simply general wisdom passed down through observation of the human condition, or you believe in God that this is his word and you're really better off doing this, whatever you happen to believe, observable. Man-made laws are only man-made laws and are only actually laws when you enforce them. These two might have been fighting, might as well have been fighting in a parking lot. For all the good, the law, the rules of MMA did Nathaniel Wood. On the actual technical side, I'm going to give Naimov some credit here. He is pretty thick for that weight class. He's got power. He's very sticky. I don't mean that like in the tactile sense. Like He was very good about getting a hold of Nathaniel Wood and not giving him space to do anything. He got rocked. Again, he should not have won this fight. He should have been penalized a point. But do want to give him credit for some of his skills. I didn't give him much of a chance here. He proved me wrong. He fought on even terms with a very talented fighter. So, I respect his skills, but there should have been a point deducted from him for the constant fouling. Even if it's unintentional, like, intent is not as important as effect on the fight. If I don't mean to kick you in the groin, but I happen to kick you in the groin so hard that it effect, you can continue, but it negatively affects you for the rest of the fight, I should have a point deducted. Straight up. If I kick you in the groin twice, and grab the inside of your gloves, and grab the fence, like, what are we doing here? If you don't enforce the rules, they don't mean anything. I know there's this thought that referees don't want to insert themselves into a fight. They don't want to influence it. Guys, I hate to break this to you. You do. Your very presence influences things, and your inaction is as influential as your action. If you choose not to penalize the guy for breaking the rules, you are putting the other fighter behind the eight ball actively, just as much as if you had taken a point from the fighter cheating. Err on the side of the rules that you... That's what we should be doing, and nobody is. Terrible job by the referee. Terrible. Again, Naimov also, by the way, came back and was like, yeah, had a bad staph infection. Um, Victoria Dudakova missed weight. She weighed 116.6. Small weight miss, but a weight miss. She defeats Jin Yu Fry via unanimous decision, 29-20 across the boards. She wins the first. She was winning the first and then drops Fry with a left hook near the end. Fry kind of rebounds in the second, gets a takedown, gets uh, enough to win. Third round, Dudikova refines her stride, wins the round. Not much here. After the fact, Dudikova says, yeah, I had a pretty bad staph infection. And while I was fighting and while I'm sitting here, I had one of the um, lesions rupture. And it's in a place I can't, it is not nice to discuss on air. And I'm like sitting in blood. And it's like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? This is the UFC's fault. For the, I shouldn't 
at the root of it, this is the UFC's fault. I mentioned this earlier. From the time the UFC hired Joe Silva, they fostered a culture and an ethic where we call you, you say yes. If you don't, we're going to sit you out longer. We're going to give you worse matchups. We want you to be as accommodating of our schedule and our demands and our desires as possible. I don't care if you're injured. I don't care if you're sick. I don't care if you're whatever. Do what we say when we say it, and you will be theoretically rewarded. And this leads to fighters fighting hurt, fighting injured, fighting sick, fighting on untenable timetables, whatever. This is not healthy. You just exposed everyone who got on that mat after you to a pretty serious disease. Staff is... Staff kills people. It's weird to say that because staff infections aren't terribly uncommon, especially if you're in close contact in a sporting capacity. Wrestling, 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 jiu-jitsu, MMA, yeah. It ain't great, but it it comes up. But staph infections are bad. This is not the common cold. This kills people. And you're just out here happily exposing everyone to it. Whatever happened to skin checks? Wrestling does this. We don't perform a physical examination to look for the giant lesions on people. There is way there is way too casual an attitude towards something as serious as staff in the in the MMA community in particular. Way too casual a relationship with that. That dis- that disease will ruin you. A bad staff infection that will impact your life. Three fighters in a row. Yeah, yeah, staff infection. Uh And then kicking everything off, um, Shada, Shada Butin, but Shada Magomedov defeated Bruno Silva via unanimous decision 30-27 across the boards. I didn't agree with 30-27. Um, I thought Silva had the third round. It's not wholly unfair to give it to Magomedov. So again, I'm not up in arms, but I didn't like it. Um, Magomedov, dynamic, powerful kicking game. Little bit too easy to get taken down. Won the second round essentially off of his back, outstriking Silva on top. Silva was on top. Magomed off his back, just throwing punches and elbows. Needs a little more urgency getting up. Needs some better takedown defense. He's still kind of, he's still relatively newer to the UFC, to MMA, so things to work on. Um, but something about the 30-27. Luke Thomas made this point, and there's a recent... There was a trend in MMA scoring for a long time where top position was overvalued, especially if it was in full guard. It was overvalued. They tried to correct for that in the rules, and unfortunately they overcorrected. As it is scored, he posited this, and I'm going to echo it to all of you because I find it an interesting question. As grappling is scored right now, how is it different from defense? Defense is 
its own reward, according to the unified rules of MMA. If you avoid a punch, that does not affirmatively score for you. Good for you, you didn't get hit. Taking someone down and being on top of them at this point is seen as its own reward in the scoring landscape. And I don't agree with that. Again, was there a time when it was overvalued in the other direction? Million percent less, I lived through it. Yes, not less. Million percent yes, I lived through it. I would see so many lay and pray guys. Hated it. Hated it, hated it. I understand the correction. I un- I'm also going to have to stand up and say we've gone too far. We have overcorrected. We need to find a better balance for this. Because right now, a difficult and affirmative part of your game and the action is not being scored as such. And if you're about to say, well, wait, what about Mohamed Makayev in the second round? Nobody gave it to him. And for good reason, he didn't do anything and he got caught in two tight submission attempts. My argument about Magomedov and Silva is not the second round. I'm okay with Magomedov getting the second round. Less okay with him getting the third. The end result wouldn't change. I, I do think he won the fight, but that's something that needs to be addressed in the greater landscape. Um, yeah, that was it. UFC 294, an event held together by, again, like chewing gum and silly string and a clown fiesta featuring lackluster performances, comical ineptitude by the doctor, very, very bad decisions by several re- by referees at different points, and several fights that fell through at the last. Like, man, the UFC is kind of... I had high hopes for this card, and we got a turkey. We got a turkey. <laughs> um, I imagine everyone's kind of glad that they're that this is behind them. Just what man? What an administrative headache this must have been. And I do have some sympathy for that. So, yeah. All right, we're over two hours just on this. Um, let me check Twitter, see if there's any news that is worth talking about. If not, we'll do plugs and then get out of here. All right. Um, no. So, unless I want to... You know what? No, I'm going to leave that alone. If the podcast were shorter and I were hard up for material, I might have touched on a couple of other things related to this event. And it's aftermath, but... I think we'll leave that alone and maybe save it for uh, another time when I'm, again, a little bit more hard up for material. All right, my full report for UFC 294 is in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Stop by, give it a read. Much appreciated as always. All right, there is no UFC event this coming week, so no preview. We'll, we will be back here next week to preview UFC on ESPN Plus 89. The UFC is back in Sao Paulo, Brazil. For Jelton Lameda versus Derek Lewis. What else is on that card? Uh, Gabriel Bonfim and Nicholas Dalby. That's not bad. Nascimento and Dante Mays. No. Heavyweights. Boo. Two heavyweight fights on the main card. That's just mean. Kyle Bahalio 
and Abus Magomedov. I like Bahalio. Adolfo Vieira. Ooh, interesting. Him and Armin Petrosian. Is uh, Ishmael Bonfim and Vince Pichel. I like Pichel, but he's a little over it. Um, ooh, Renat Fakrandinov is getting a shot against Elijah Lasquedo Santos. I like that. Eh. Little, it falls apart a little bit further down, but you know what? Wait, how many fights are on that card? Hang on. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8. 10, 11, 12, 13, yeah, 14. You're pushing it. You're pushing it. I don't like that number. But full preview next week. Um, as for myself, uh, this week, Monday, Mark Radlich and I will be on Damn You Hollywood reviewing the Martin Scorsese three-and-a-half-hour epic Killers of the Flower Moon. So it's getting a fair amount of buzz. Haven't seen it yet, but I will, and we will review it, because that's what we do. Um, normally, there would have been a... Re- the original schedule had a review of the Netflix TV series The Fall of the House of Usher this week. For scheduling reasons, that got pushed back to... Which week in November? Um, my calendar's been updated or not. Eh. Uh, I don't think it has... That'll, we'll probably get on that tomorrow, you know, for ske- again scheduling getting redone. But it's it got moved to second week in November, I want to say, somewhere in that range. Um, yeah. So, however, because there is no UFC event, uh, Mark and I on Saturday will be providing alternative commentary, the old watch along treatment for. Uh, Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. <laughs> okay. You know what? I like Mark. We'll have a good time. If you're interested, come on by and give that a listen. So. Uh, my Also, my usual spate of professional wrestling, MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday. And then, yeah, no UFC event Saturday, but next week we'll have the full preview. We'll talk about news of the week. Why did that get moved? Sorry, another damn you Hollywood together. That's yeah, next week. Full, you'll get the plugs for next week. Next week, somewhat appropriately. All right, that is it for me for this week, everybody. Thank you as always for listening. Anything you can do to support the show is appreciated. Sharing, most importantly, at this point, um, bring more people in. I, if you think they'll enjoy the show, point them in my direction. Until then, thank you all very, very much. I appreciate the heck out of you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.